Well, good morning, good afternoon. This is Jennifer Kenny Smith. I am with GitLab and super excited to have my new friend and guest, Ann Duncan, the CIO of Department of Energy here to talk a little bit about digital transformation and a big shout out to our friends at ATARC for hosting us. Good morning, Ann. How are you? Good morning, Jennifer. I'm good. How are you? I'm super. Thanks for spending some time with me. Um, we talked a little bit this morning about what you're doing in your role, where you've come from, and things you're excited about in regards to digital transformation. If you could just take me on a journey about your career and what you're excited about and what you're working on today. Jennifer, um, thank you for having me here this morning. Um, so yeah, I think the, the background I'll share about my career uh, is that uh, I'm an engineer. I have uh, two, two degrees in industrial engineering, so that sort of shapes the background that I bring in uh, to my role that's very, um, uh, process-oriented, very structured, um, but uh, as you'll see as we talk, also not uh, not ignoring the fact that people and culture are really what, uh, what we're all about, and in fact, uh, you know, people make fun of industrial engineers because they say we're not real engineers because we focus so much on people and, and culture as opposed to hard engineering. So um, after I graduated, I went to work in the private sector for Hewlett Packard for a number of years. Um, after my time at HP, um, I went uh, to the public sector and became the CTO for the Palo Alto School District uh, in California, which is uh, um, one of the top school districts in the country. Um, and, uh, you know, right across the street from, from Stanford uh, there in Palo Alto. Um, and then uh, through a series of, of rather sort of, I would call lucky events, uh, I was invited to uh, uh, apply to be a CIO in the Obama administration and uh, was ultimately invited to be the CIO for the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, where I served until the end of the administration, uh, and then um, went to Santa Clara County from there. And Santa Clara County is the 15th largest county in the country. It's uh, the heart the of Silicon Valley. In fact, it's the definition of Silicon Valley is Santa Clara County. Uh, so I spent about three years in Santa Clara. And then after I left Santa Clara, I went to work for Dell um, in, uh, in early 2020. Um, and then uh, later in that year, uh, was asked by the transition team to uh, help uh, with uh, the transition, uh, focused on both technology and the EPA. And uh, during that time, was asked if I would be interested in in returning to the to the government uh, as a CIO. And you know, it's a it's an exciting place to be. Uh, there's a tremendous opportunity to make a difference. And so, um, you know, I was hard pressed to to not say yes. And so I find myself. Uh, back at DOE. Uh, so, and, and it's kind of nice because DOE and EPA are, are sort of close cousins. Uh, they're in the energy and environment sector of the government. We do a lot of work together, a lot of collaboration. Um, DOE is responsible, for example, for energy sector critical infrastructure, and EPA is responsible for water sector infrastructure. Uh, we both do environmental cleanup. Um, we both care about things like alternative energy and um, uh, uh, clean, clean energy. Um, and you know we collaborate on a lot of activities uh, along with other departments and agencies, obviously, but there's a great synergy there and great opportunity to bring my previous government experience into my current experience. It also has to be said, um, easier to be a CIO the second time around in government because I know what I'm doing uh, and mm -hmm. I've been able to integrate quickly back into the government. I'm also chair of the innovation committee at the CIO council. Um, so that's another exciting opportunity I have to influence, uh, not just in DOE, but across the government. Uh, Jennifer, I think you asked about what we're working on and what I'm excited about. Uh, yeah. So, um, you know, we have, uh, just to highlight DOE's mission, uh, DOE's mission uh, is everything from 
securing the nuclear stockpile uh, and building, uh, um, helping build uh, nuclear submarines uh, to um, open science uh, and securing uh, the grid. So we, we market um, much of the power that's generated in this country and we maintain um, uh, most of the grid in the country. And so we have an incredible uh, uh, importance in terms of just managing the infrastructure of this nation, in addition to, um, like I said, open science, where we do amazing projects across the country at our 15 national labs. Uh, within the Office of CIO, a couple things to highlight that we're working on. Uh, number one, uh, we've been deploying our low-code platform. Uh, we've got one uh, deployed and we're, we're looking to add a couple other options as to other platforms to give people a choice in throughout the organization. Um, that along with our rapid ATO process has really um, allowed us to be able to very quickly uh, deploy new applications in support of things uh, like uh, DOE's hiring surge for the um, bipartisan infrastructure law, as well as a response to the uh, crisis in Ukraine. So number of exciting things there, as well as um, developing a playbook to help folks scale modernization activities. One of the things that uh, has been quite apparent uh, since 2013, where we recognized that we were not successfully um, uh, building, buying, and operating IT in the federal government, that the way we were doing things just wasn't working, uh, and we wanted to go be more agile. Um, we've developed lots of pockets of, uh, of agile in the government, lots of pockets of digital transformation, but no scale. And so the real goal of this particular project is to give people a roadmap on how to scale innovation. And so here are some fundamental things you have to put in place. And then here are the plays you can take on to, to be more effective. And our low code platform is one example of one of the things we're doing to help scale innovation at DOE. Okay, that's a lot. So thank you. <laughs> um, I wanted to go back to the beginning of your career talking about people and culture. And I wonder how that affects and supports, affects your people, but supports your leadership. Um, and is there a tie back to that and how you lead? Um, so, so yeah, Jennifer, I think the number one thing is that we think that technology is what's hard, but we, but that's not what's hard, right? We, we are all learning and we've all learned over the years that, that, that culture is what's hard um, and building a culture in which people can be um, successful uh, and happy uh, is important in spite of the fact that, that I know some folks who think work should not be fun. Um, you know, I'm of the opinion that if people are going to spend uh, half their life at work or a third of their life at work, they ought to have a good time. Um, so, um, you know, we, we want to make sure we create a culture where people can feel successful and in the federal government. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's like other places, but not in the sense that people need all the same things, but what is, what is challenging or lacking in the federal government is a little different. So a lot of what I focus on with organizations um, is uh, ensuring that folks feel like uh, they have a, a sense of urgency and a bias for action um, because the government, as you and I discussed earlier, is very bureaucratic, things can get bogged down um, and people can sort of get resigned to the slowness of government. And so we want to really encourage people um, to take that next step, to move forward, to take action. And so we want to create conditions where that's possible, where people feel like they have the authority to do that. And the other thing, um, that's really important uh, is having people feel like they can safely take some risks. You know, we, for many, many years, uh, we've built up processes and systems that are designed to avoid risk. And often, in fact, they don't avoid risk, they add risk. 
but they're designed to, to avoid risk. So a great example is, is you know, big monolithic projects with a big procurement with a big requirement cycle, a big procurement cycle, and a big development cycle. The theory of that is you figure it all out up front, you've got all the answers, it's going to be a great project. Well, we have decades that demonstrate that's not successful. And so we really want people to feel safe in, in, in being, being agile practitioners and to, to experimenting the way that one does in an agile environment. And if they fail on a $25,000, $50,000 experiment, that's fine. We can walk away from that experiment. We've done some just this year where we worked on a project that didn't really work out. We bought new technology. That didn't work out. We walked away from it and went on to something else. I can explain that. I can justify it. No one's going to call me up to Congress to talk about it, but if they did, I could. Whereas I can't, it's very difficult to explain or justify a 50 million or $100 million project failure. And so we really want to encourage folks um, to feel like they can take risks. That means knowing that their leadership will support them uh, in that risk taking. Uh, so those are a couple of key things that are important about the culture in, that we're trying to develop at DOE and in government. So Harrison Smith was on with us uh, with IRS and he, former, formerly from procurement within DHS, brought over the concept of marrying industry mm -hmm. technology within government and deployed a paid for proof of concept. And I think it's $25,000 or so. Um, sounds similar to what you're, you are encouraging. So there is the safe place, there's the sandbox, there's the support, um, putting the technology with the culture to help collaborate and mm -hmm. then learn best practices before there is this big cost um, spend if it wasn't gonna be helpful. Also GSA with T uh, Technology Modernization Fund is doing that too, where they're bringing in the technology support. If you're running through, there's my project, they're there to support it if you're using that, that funding stream. Mm -hmm. um, how has deploying that safe space and um, empowerment changed how you're seeing your team support new, new technology proof of concepts or proof of values? So I, th I think that um, what we're seeing is that as people recognize that it's okay to you know, essentially take try something and then throw it away because it didn't work, um, they're bringing more new ideas to the front. Uh, we're also, it you know, requires that. It also requires the tools and processes where they can do things quickly. Um, because if we say, great, you can take risks, but we don't build the processes and tools that enable them to do that, um, then, you know, there's no $25,000 project to be done. Uh, so, you know, that, that, but we're seeing, you know, very rapid deployments of things um, on our, our low code platforms. You know, and share what I'm excited about too is sharing. So um, we worked uh, with one of our organizations to build out a chatbot for them. And we've actually had a couple other departments reach out to us and ask to share that chatbot. So it's not just, hey, we can share it within DOE, but we can share with other departments and agencies. And that's something that particularly since I put my federal wide hat on with the innovation committee, we really wanna encourage people to share things. You know, we also collaborate, as I mentioned, you know, across departments and agencies. If you look at the Justice 40 program, you know, DOE developed a piece of that, a piece of that, and then uh, EPA's developed a piece of that, and other departments and agencies have developed pieces of that program together to enable the success. So um, it's you know not only creating that environment where it's safe and um, where we can do things quickly, but also sharing across departments. That's awesome. Um, ATARC has working groups similar to that where different government entities come together to, to play, to share, collaborate, and create something new, right? Um, 
a blog on it or a white paper or a blueprint essentially so that we can increase communication mm -hmm. and thought leadership um, to collaborate. Uh, to your playbook um, and your low code, no code and HEO process so fast. I know a lot of agencies are struggling with that. Where I see the struggle is the consistent messaging of we don't do it that way, back to processes, procedures, um, approval metrics. And when you go if in your role, if you were to say, what do you mean we haven't done it this way? Show me in the handbook. And then they're like, oh, it's not really in the handbook, but we've never done it different. So there's a lot of from imagining the, the the hierarchy of the approval mm -hmm. matrix, how are how are you? I'm guessing you've ripped up that old handbook and maybe you're writing the new one, or you're just like, go do it and apologize if it doesn't work. But what are your thoughts around that? And where where how are you doing it different? Yeah, so you know it's interesting because as you know, uh, DOE is a highly distributed organization. So talking about uh, rapid ATO, for example. So the you know I can I have folks in my own organization who are authorizing officials, and so those folks um, have worked with have worked to um, have a uh, an attitude that says we're going to find a way to make things work uh, that that we will work on new processes. And the idea with you know a rapid ATO process is you the platform gets an ATO that manages 99, 99, I don't know, 90% of the controls, let's say. I don't know actually what percentage of controls, but a huge percentage of controls are part of the platform. So when you have a new application, you're only ATO doing an ATO for a small portion of the controls because you already have it. And that's what makes that work really fast for us. And so uh, having my staff embrace the idea of doing that and my CISO and the other AOs throughout the organization um, recognize that that makes sense. But then we've got this distributed organization with AOs all across DOE who don't work for me. So we have an AO community of practice where we share out the concepts and ideas and, and help them understand um, how things need to change and how we want things to change across DOE so that people can move fast. And obviously also, um, you know, if, if someone's struggling uh, with, a, with, a, with a particular AO or a particular project, you know, we can reach out from the CIO's office and, and try and talk with the AO and that particular part of the organization, understand uh, what the challenges are and, and help them move that process forward. You know, and, and it's, a, it's a balancing act, obviously, because the AOs are empowered to make decisions. Um, and there's a reason they're empowered to make decisions, but we also want to make sure there are checks and balances so that AOs are aligned. So, you know, we're, we're building a process that allows escalations now. So if a particular AO is saying no, uh, they're not necessarily overridden, but there'll be someone who can look at that and 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 see if maybe they're being too conservative or not aligned with the rest of the organization and have a conversation about it. Okay, excellent. Fair enough. All right, so let's jump into the playbook. How did this come into fruition? Uh, you even mentioned earlier when we were chatting pockets of information in the government, how to put together this data, you know, asset, and how to help improve the the preparing, scaling, and innovating across the board. Right. So yes, I mentioned it for, you know, we, we figured out uh, you know, after um, 2013, when we really started looking at this, that um, we needed to do development differently. That monolithic process wasn't really working very well. We needed to become more agile. And you saw pockets of agile pop up across the government. The other thing you saw, I certainly saw this at EPA, and I'm sure it was true elsewhere, is folks who'd been doing agile and hiding because they were afraid they were gonna get shut down because that wasn't sanctioned. <clears throat> we're then picking up and starting to do agile and developing 
you know, really sharing that out now. And so we're getting these great pockets, and, but there wasn't much scale. There are a few examples, um, the software factories in the Air Force, um, which are a great example of a place where they said, hey, if we do this, if you use our process, we're going to make it easy. Going back to that, how do you change? If you use our process, we're going to make it easy. If you use choose another process, it's not going to be easy to get an AO. So they built compliance into using their process by making it easier for people than going the old way. Um, but what we saw is really not a lot of scale. And so I looked at that and I said, uh, I, I got together with Greg Godbat, who was my CTO at uh, EPA. We wrote a white paper um, in uh, the spring of 2020 uh, while I was outside the government um, making a proposal to you know, how we might be able to do some things to fix this. The playbook was one of them. Um, and so once, I, once we're in EPA, we decided we were going to go ahead and create that playbook. Uh, my deputy and I and some other folks were really excited about it. So <clears throat> we went out and um, I say we, I didn't do it. Other people did it. Interviewed thought leaders across the government and, and the private sector to get their thoughts on what the top plays are and the, the conditions that are required uh, to really scale uh, innovation across government. And so that's, that's, that's what we did. And then we obviously folks in my organization uh, went and, and built those interviews out into plays. And then we put the playbook together, which we're gonna be publishing uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're gonna be launching it uh, at the DOE uh, Innovation and Cybersecurity Conference in Portland uh, the week of June 13th. Um, so, and then we'll, we'll do some more launch activities back in DC uh, later in the summer. Um, but we're really excited about this. Uh, we, we hope it'll be a resource uh, across the government and maybe for some folks in the private sector too. Awesome. Anything from the interviews that you learned that you were kind of surprised by? Um, you know, I think that, that uh, um, the most surprising part might be um, how consistent everyone was across you know, what they thought uh, in terms of, of what was necessary. But I will say um, that I think um, some of the plays were not what I expected, right? Some of the things I thought were gonna be plays actually landed in as enabling activities. Um, and the plays ended up being um, uh, much more um, strategic even than I thought they would be in a lot of cases. Um, so, you know, we're excited about what those are and about how we're going to, uh, how that's going to help people. And, you know, none of them are surprising, right? It's not like you look at that and go, oh my gosh, I never thought of doing that. Um, it's a matter of putting them all together in one place and saying, you know, here's what you need to put in place before you start. And then, then here's how to get where you're going. Um, so I think to me, the good news was it wasn't what exactly what I expected um, in terms of the list of things. Um, because then it would have felt like, wow, maybe we didn't do our homework if I could have written it myself. So it was different than I expected, but but not nothing was a shock. Uh, okay. So yeah. Well, this isn't your first rodeo. You've seen this before, right? <laughs> yeah, and, I suppose so. And so great that you all put that together because I know a lot of leaders um, want to know what's the secret, what's the blueprint, and if I could get there faster, cheaper, smarter, um, especially with all the things that are, we're pressing against coming out of the pandemic, still budget constraints, still continue resolution, all the things, and technology is fast, so how do we adapt quickly? Yeah, and you know, I don't think we have all the answers, but I think we have answers that will help move them forward. Yeah. So great. Um, anything else in your role that you're excited about that you wanted to share? I know we talked a little bit about technology. I love the agile um, development and evolution there. Um, back to supporting DOE's mission. Anything else you want to share? 
Yeah, I think one other thing I would just just add, I mean, this is a really exciting time at DOE. We're doing a tremendous amount of work, um, you know, with, with clean energy. Uh, we're working with DOT on uh, EV chargers. Uh, we're working with, with, you know, across the government to try and improve our, our posture in terms of, of clean energy and of, of environmental, safe, environmental safety. Um, so it's really exciting. I think one of the things that, that's clear from all the work we do across DOE um, is that we don't, we don't know what we know. Uh, and so one of the things that we've taken on in my organization uh, is really helping understand everything we know um, in certain areas, right? We, I, can't, I can't learn everything about everything in DOE, but you know, there's responsibilities I haven't, we haven't even touched on. Um, and a couple of those uh, play into this. One is, um, so I'm responsible for spectrum management and 5G within DOE. Um, and, uh, and represent DOE, the interagency in those spaces. And we went and built out a handbook uh, that, that lists all of the things that DOE and our national labs are doing uh, in 5G. So that not only will DOE know, uh, but uh, our potential uh, partners and customers throughout uh, government, uh, both in the US and around the world, will know what, we, what's, what capabilities we have and that we bring to the party. You know, when you talk about 5G, for example, um, and DOD talks about 5G work they're doing, it's actually happening at the DOE lab. So we provide work for others across the government, but if we don't know what we know, we can't help people understand what that is. Another area that we haven't talked about that I'm responsible for, not surprisingly, is cybersecurity. Um, <clears throat> and we're working on what are we doing across DOE for cyber defense? What research is going on in our labs that will help people be more able to defend themselves from a cybersecurity standpoint, both for uh, traditional business systems and even more importantly, critical infrastructure, because we do a tremendous amount of research in securing critical infrastructure and operational technology and control systems have been ignored for many years. And, and you know, they have the potential to be a real Achilles heel for, for a government and industry. So we're building out that catalog as well. So that role we've taken on of helping people understand um, what DOE knows and what DOE can share is something I'm excited about. I think it adds a tremendous uh, value and it's a great, uh, a great tool when I go out and talk with our international partners, which I spend a tremendous amount of time doing um, about uh, security and, uh, and infrastructure and how we can all work together. So cool. So much good content and information there, Anne. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I will offer some one other thought that maybe you and I could collaborate on. Uh, Nick Shalon, former Air Force, uh, he's got his LinkedIn data points on all things uh, DevSecOps and software factories. He just asked why there's not more women developers that are responding to the content he's putting out there. 90 something, 92% of the feedback is from men, mm -hmm. male developers. And I got tagged in and I was like, huh, there's obviously less female developers in the industry today and a voice to contribute and collaborate. Um, but I'd also like to help influence the young up and coming female uh, developers in tech um, to make sure that they have a place to grow and lean in. Um, so I don't know if you have an idea in your, in your organization, how many female developers you have, and you don't need to answer that, but just like to put in a plug in there, mm -hmm. let's come together. I love your, um, your passion, your efficiency in delivering this messaging and the way that you've uh, wrapped around support to your people and your culture to be able to deploy the technology with mm -hmm. the security um, and, and the place for them to grow and evolve. Um, but I think it may, might be cool for us to work together and get that messaging out there for 
females that are co-developers to speak up and to influence and make an impact, but also if they're not in that space, maybe transitioning new career. Yeah, no, I think it's a, that's a really great point, Jennifer. Um, you know, a couple thoughts on that. Um, you know, I've worked in education for a number of years. Um, and, and one of the things that I learned over time is that there, you know, women, programming used to be a women's space. If you look back at the- Grace Hopper, 50s, yeah. yep. Grace Hopper 50s, started Yep, the 50s, the 60s, 70s, my mother was a software developer. Um, yeah, so, so, you know, you go back and, and it was a women's space and it changed when video games came out, when boys yeah. started playing video games and when software development became prestigious. And then boys mm -hmm. push girls out of the space. Um, so we need to bring at the elementary level, it's about yeah. third or fourth grade, we start losing, we need to bring them back in. But mm -hmm. to your point, you know, it's the old argument of, do I try and get them now or I wait 10 years or 15 years? And so absolutely that combination of getting kids in, but also getting women to speak up and getting women to change careers because, you know, retooling the software development is not trivial, but, you know, we were retooling Back when I was at HP, we were retooling hardware engineers to software engineers in a 12-week boot camp. Um, yeah. So it is certainly something that that people can do, and they can make that career change and and become a software developers. And so yeah, I'd love to talk about how we can help continue to get that messaging out. At DOE, we are really focused on uh, diversifying our our employee base. Uh, we're doing right now. We're doing a big internship program that my office is co-leading to bring more diverse folks into our labs. You know, they're hard to get to. They're not there in remote places, as you know. And so those, 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 those um, internships need a lot of wraparound services in terms of, of transportation and housing to get kids out there. Otherwise, they just can't do it. Um, okay. if, or, or specifically, the women and underrepresented minorities can't do it. You know, right. the, the, the folks who come from backgrounds where there's money, they can do it, but the rest of them can't. So love the idea. Love to talk about how we can support that. Yeah, awesome. And for women listening that have thoughts around it, reach out to us. We'd love to collaborate. Um, I was at the Simmons Women's Leadership Conference many years ago, probably in 2012, and the president of the Girl Scouts at the time had spoke to that, that um, the deficit of girls moving into technology, not just developing technology careers, was depreciating at such a rapid pace because in elementary school, they felt inferior to continuing on a science or math career path. Yep. That's Absolutely. just not okay. I have a girl. I have my daughter's now 15. I want, she was thinking about being an animator. I'm not sure where she's going to go next, but uh, th there shouldn't be threatened or fearful of that. We need that collaboration and that diversity for sure. So I would love to expand that with you. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. This was such a breath of fresh air in tech. I love what you're doing and all that you shared. You seem like an incredible leader. So thanks for taking some time with us and ATARC. And for now, we'll sign off. Thank you, Jennifer. It's great to be here. Thanks.